Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. You're joining us during a foundational series in the life of our church that we're calling This Is Hope. During this series, we're asking two questions. Who are we? And because of who we are, what do we do? If you're joining us here for the very first time, I wanna be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us and fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. This is Hope is an identity declaration of who we are and what we do. So, who are we and what do we do? At Hope Church, we magnify Christ above everything. We experience life change in community. We love our city. We multiply churches. This is Hope. Well, good morning, Hope Church. It's so good to see all of you. We doing all right? All right. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, you are jumping in on a series that we're calling This Is Hope, who we are and what we do. You're jumping right in on week four, and if you haven't been following along with us, I wanna really encourage you to watch the first three messages in this series because they're critical to who we are and explaining what we do. And if you've been a part of following with our service, or our series, you know Pastor Scott has made some statements every single week that he's continued to restate every single week. And here's one of the statements that Pastor Scott has made as a part of our service. Let me know if you've heard him say this. Here at Hope Church, we have zero interest in building a massive audience that fills this room simply to sit and soak in the conveniences of American Christianity. Anybody ever heard Scott say that? Statement, yes, we love that statement, we agree with that statement, but here's the question that I asked last week as I sat there listening to him. Why? <laughs> like, I agree, but like, why do we believe and why is it not our ultimate desire just to fill this room every single week? Because let's just be honest, friends. If we were to do that, every single service, is, every single service three times a week, every seat filled, that would be pretty sweet. Like I know a whole lot of churches where the whole goal is just to add as many people as possible into the building. Why is it that we're saying up close and personal, up front right now, that's not our ultimate goal? Here's why. Because we have a conviction, a conviction that comes straight from the words of Jesus himself in Acts chapter one, verse eight. I wanna show, you, to show it to you on the screen. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, my disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
You see, what Jesus was teaching in this passage is that when God's spirit comes into the life of a person, the transforming work that's gonna happen in a believer is to become witnesses, and in their case, in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's what's significant about this. See, when they say, when Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, what he really was saying is, you're gonna be my witnesses where you live, in the city that you live in. Jerusalem. He says also in all of Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria, that's the region that Jerusalem was set in. So you're not only going to be my witnesses in the city you live in, you're also going to be my witnesses in the region that you live in, and then also to the ends of the earth. Now notice also what Jesus did not say in this passage. Jesus did not say, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem then in all of Judea and Samaria, then in the ends of the earth. See, a lot of people, when it comes to following Jesus and and engaging in the mission of God, here's what the sentiment sounds like. It sounds like, hey, listen, let's reach everybody in Las Vegas, and then once we get done with Las Vegas, we can go outside of that and, and go to the rest of the region. And the problem with that is I hear the heartbeat of it. The problem with it is it's just not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, in Jerusalem, then all of Judea and Samaria, he says, and. Meaning this, that Jesus, when he transforms people and saves people, his desire for them is to be his witnesses where they live, in the region they live in, and around the world. So here at Hope, we've come up with a a little phrase to communicate what we think Jesus was calling us to in this passage. Here's how we say it. God has called us to join in his activity of extending the kingdom of God In Las Vegas, where we live, in the West, the region that Las Vegas is set in, and the world. If you've been a part of Hope for any length of time, you've heard that phrase, Las Vegas, the West, and the world. And the reason we say that is very simply this. This is the conviction for why we're not simply interested in just building a big audience full of Christians who sit and soak. Here's what we believe. And it's been a belief that we've had since the very beginning of our church when we were simply meeting in a living room. And here's the belief, that when God birthed our church, it was always for something bigger than our church. That when God birthed our church, it was always for something bigger than just what was gonna happen within these four walls or even in this city. And so that begs the question though, if we're called to engage in extending the kingdom of God in Las Vegas and the West, This begs the question, how can we significantly impact the West with the gospel? In other words, how are we going to do that? And this morning, I thought we would just have some fun. We're gonna use our imaginations this morning. So here's a potential answer for how we could significantly impact the West. Ready, here we go. Let's just say next weekend that Hope Church becomes the largest church in North America. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Be pretty sweet. According to Outreach.com, a Christian uh, organization that studies churches, according to Outreach.com, if we were to become the largest church in North America over one weekend, here's how many people we would need to show up next weekend. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of people. I thought just as I was thinking about how in the world would we make that a reality, I thought, man, how many services 
would we have to pull off on this campus in order to accommodate that many people? Now, legally, we would never be able to do that. We would, we would get in a lot of trouble. But let's just say, for the sake of fun, we were able to do that. Guess how many services it would take us to fit that many people in this room over a weekend? Guess, are you ready? Here we go. 46. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't stay here. I, uh, being a pastor here, that many services, I think, I think none of our pastors would be here. We would all die. Like that just would be outrageous, 80,000 people. But listen, wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> to see that many people coming on a weekend to worship Jesus? That, that really would be incredible. But here's the question. We're called to significantly impact the West. So here's the logical question in light of this. What percentage of the West Coast would we have reached or impacted if that were our reality? Because we believe here that our church was born and it was planted for something bigger than just our church. So we need to ask, how does that impact the West? And here's the number for the West Coast that we would impact. Every service, people have responded that way. 0.1%. If we became the largest church in North America overnight, we would only impact 0.1% of our entire West Coast. Why do I tell you that? Here's why I tell you that. Here's the point. The point is we will never make a dent in decreasing the lostness of the West Coast if all we ever do is focus on adding people to our services. This is why, friends, God has called us not just to be a part of adding people to this campus. God has called us to multiply churches up and down the West Coast because addition will never do it. We've got to be about the multiplication of churches. You see, God has called his people to be his witnesses, not only in their city, but their region, as well as literally around the world. And as we witness to people, about how Jesus has changed our lives and we see them come to begin a relationship with Jesus and then we disciple them in kingdom living and then we deploy them out into the world on mission. As we do that, the kingdom of God expands. But here's the question. What is the primary context and environment that that happens? And here's how it happens. It happens through the local church, which is why here at Hope, we are always going to be about multiplying churches. Again, if you just joined us in this series, we're in week four of our This Is Hope series. And in week one, we talked about this reality that we magnify Christ above everything. That the whole reason this church exists is for the glory of Jesus's name and his name alone. Week two, we talked about this reality that we experience life change in community that the way we grow and are formed in the people that God created us to be is in the context of relationship. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're not plugged into a small group, this is your opportunity, get in, so you can become the person that God has created you to become. And then last week, Pastor Scott led us as we talked through how we love our city, the reality that God has sent all of us here, whether you like it or not, right? God has sent all of us here for this time, for this season, to contribute to the wholeness of our city that we love. And this week, we're gonna talk about this reality that we multiply churches. And when we say we, 
we really do say and mean we. Here's what I mean by this. This topic would be very easy for a lot of you in the room to go, well, Trenton, I understand magnifying Jesus. I understand how we experience life-changing community. I understand how we all can love our city, but this one about multiplying and planting and starting churches, this one really is one where you, the paid professional, have to do that one. This is not a we, <laughs> right? And we just wanna be very clear up front. We've got a conviction. I'm gonna put it up on the screen because I don't want you to check out. We believe that every Jesus follower has been invited by God to play a role in the multiplication of churches. I know it'd be so easy this morning to go check out, this isn't for me, but I wanna encourage you to lean in because what we're gonna do with the remainder of our time is show you biblically one reason why we believe that every single person who's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus can and should be a part of multiplying the church in their lifetime. And then we wanna finish by giving you five practical ways that today you can take your next step in playing your role in multiplying the church in our lifetime. Does it sound like a plan? All right, some of you like the plan, some of you don't, but we're going, we're going anyway. All right, if you got your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to open them to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 17. And as you're turning there, let me set up the context a little bit. The context of the, the reason for this book, this letter being written is, this is written by a man named Paul. He is writing his second letter to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth. And he's writing this letter to this church that he started, that he planted. And he's writing to them because they're pretty jacked up. <laughs> like if I can just be as honest as I can be, they're a pretty broken, jacked up church. But isn't that true of all of us, if we're being honest? We all got issues, we all have challenges, and what Paul's doing is he's writing to this church that he loves to encourage them and remind them of the beauty and richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And he's writing to them in hopes of reminding them of who they are and showing them how it connects to what they do. And you'll see that in just a moment. So 2 Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 17, I'm gonna read the passage and then we'll talk about it. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was recon reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. From this passage, I wanna give you one biblical reason why every follower of Jesus can play a role in multiplying the church. And I'm gonna say it in a big overarching statement. Here's the reason why from this passage. God saved us to send us. God saved us to send us. And we're gonna pull that out from this passage in just a moment. But as we talk about this, I wanna talk about the reality of God's saving grace in our life. I wanna talk for just a few minutes about the gospel in our lives because here's what I believe. 
I believe when the gospel, when we start experiencing tangibly and in real life how the gospel affects all of life and it really gets down into the depths and depths and depths of our soul. When the gospel gets there, here's what I believe. Multiplication will start taking care of itself. When the gospel and the richness of it and what God has done for you in Jesus starts to genuinely transform your life from the inside out, multiplication and mission will start taking care of itself. And so we're gonna spend a few minutes talking about the richness of the gospel from this passage. Sound like a plan? First thing I want you to see from this passage, one beautiful reality. For those of us who are in Christ, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. Look at it in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Notice in this text, there is no debating about the new identity for those of us who are in Christ. This word, if, is actually better translated since. And so you could literally read it this way. Since you are in Christ, logical reality coming on the other end of it, since you're in Christ, you're new. (laughs) There's no debating about it. Your core identity, the very being of who you are, it has been transformed by Jesus. If you're in Christ, you've got a new identity. And here's why this is such a big deal, because all of us live out of an identity, All of us are living out who we think we are or who think we should be. And what Jesus is saying here through Paul, what God is saying through Paul is this. If you're in Christ, you are absolutely new. The very core of your being has been transformed. You are new. The old has gone away. The new has come. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that when you become a Christian, you no longer have any sin in your life, right? (laughs) Any of us who have been following Jesus for any stretch of period of time know that that just doesn't line up with reality. So what is Paul saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that now that you and I are in Christ, you are no longer seen by God as your old sinful self. You are now seen by God through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf. If you didn't believe me, listen to what Paul says in verse 21 here. Here's what he says. For our sake, he being God made Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that, this is why, why? So that in him, in a relationship with Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what Paul's saying. Because of Jesus, now God, when he looks at us, I know you've struggled with sin this week. And that's practically our reality. We are struggling with sin. But now, because of Jesus, positionally, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us through the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. So now you and I can relate to God that way, not our old way. Not in fear, but in faith. You and I have a new identity. Number two, we gotta go fast now. <laughs> your, your new identity also is entirely from God. It's entirely from God. I love this. Look at verse 18. All of this, all this is from God. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What Paul is reminding the Corinthian believers of is this. Hey, listen, your new identity You've you've done nothing to be able to achieve that new identity. 
It's all entirely a gift of grace on your behalf. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you've been. Your salvation, it's all because of God. Theologians, when talking about the Trinity and how the Trinity relates to salvation, would say this, that the Father planned your salvation from eternity past. The Son, through his life, death, and resurrection, accomplished salvation on your behalf. And then the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, is the one who applies the salvation to your life and makes it a reality in your life. So that you and I, if God ever were to say to us, why should I let you into my kingdom? We'd say, you shouldn't, but because of your love and your love alone, it's only because of you that you should let me in. You've done everything necessary through the gospel, in order to give me a relationship with you and entrance into your kingdom. All of this is a gift from God. Not only do we have a new identity, not only is all of our salvation and our identity a gift from God, entirely from God, but here's the third thing I want you to see. We also have a new ministry. If you're in Christ, you and I, we have a new ministry. You don't believe me, that's okay. Look at the Bible, verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and ready for it, it's in yellow, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, when God saved you, he not only transformed who you were, he also transforms how you live your life. It's almost as if you could say, and listen to how perfect this is, it's almost as if you could say that God, when he planned this writing, He wanted to show that who you are, your new identity, cannot be separated from what you do, your ministry. See, who we are is made clear through what we do. And Jesus here has said, you've been given a new identity. It's all a gift of God. And when you recognize how amazing that gift is, what's gonna happen naturally is it's gonna overflow into ministry, into a lifestyle of sharing with people what God has given you as a gift. What is the ministry of reconciliation? In the most simple way possible, I can explain it. The ministry of reconciliation is God using us, those of us who have been transformed by Jesus, God using us to tell the world that a relationship with God is possible because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Now I know I can feel it in the room. You're saying, Pastor, I'm not in ministry. I'm a business owner, I'm a doctor, I'm an artist, I'm a teacher. Pastor, I'm not in ministry, you're in ministry. And I just wanna lovingly tell you, listen, you might not get paid for it, but you've been called to it. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you've been changed, you've been called. Now there's some of you here, and this is just a burden on my heart this weekend, there's some of you here that you may have grown up like me. You've grown up in church, you understand the idea of mission and sharing the gospel with people and multiplying churches. You kinda get that, you hear that, and it's awesome. But some of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines rather than getting in the game when it comes to engaging in the mission. And here's why you do it. Because you've bought into this belief that you have to reach a certain standard of holiness or maturity before you can start engaging in the mission of God. And I just wanna lovingly tell you, if you're believing that, you are believing a lie from the pit of hell. How do I know that? Remember who Paul's writing to? He's writing to, if, if you had 
the time this week. Go read First and Second Corinthians. These people are nasty. <laughs> They're disgusting in the most God-honoring way. Like, it's just gross. They're so messed up. They've got so much sin, and yet it's still in the midst of that reality that Paul's reminding them, hey, listen, you're new. You're new. I know you don't feel new, but I have changed your identity and I've commissioned you to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, what I'm doing in the world. And so don't let, friends, don't let the lie that you've got to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity be the thing that holds you back from participating and engaging in the kingdom of God. Listen, you can go in right now. Here's why. Because if you've been redeemed, you're ready. If you've been redeemed, you're ready. All of us have been given this calling. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, he gives this great commission to all of us. Look what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. I love how a friend of our church, Pastor J.D. Greer, talks about it. Here's what he says. The question is no longer if we are called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission. It's only where and how. The question is not, am I called to engage in the mission of God? The question is not, have you been given the ministry of reconciliation? If you have been changed, you have been called. If you've been redeemed, you are ready. The only question is how and where. I have a strong conviction, friends, that the design of God is for the gospel of Jesus to go so deep into our souls that it would literally naturally overflow out into our lives and influence of other people. This is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says. He says, for Christ's love compels us it's not forced, we're compelled. We're compelled because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live, and this is for us as followers of Jesus, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's what I believe. Here's why we just took all this time to talk about the gospel and a new identity and all this stuff. Here's why we did this. Because I have a strong conviction that when the richness of the gospel gets deep into the souls of God's people, multiplication and mission will take care of itself. Because how could it not? In light of the goodness of the gospel, in light of the grace that God has given us, if we really understood all we had in Jesus, we'd want so many people to know it. Because we would be compelled. We would be compelled. And I have this strong conviction because this is what was true for me. This happened to me. When I look back on my life of following Jesus, for the year after I gave my life to Jesus in high school as a sophomore in high school, that next junior year, it was the most missional I had ever been in my entire life. See, I gave my life to Jesus on a Wednesday night in a youth service, and then two weeks after that, I got the privilege of going on a mission trip to the country of Honduras. I was not supposed to go on that trip because I had actually, before Jesus, before Jesus, I had lied to my youth pastor about sending out support letters in order to get money in order to go, and uh, he wasn't gonna let me go, but then I got saved, and he was like, ah, why not? And uh, he let me go. <laughs> Grace. And so I got to go, and I'm so thankful because it was on that trip that God absolutely changed my life. 
I remember I was sitting on a bus going to a school. We were going to this school and we were gonna go serve them and love on them and share the gospel with them. And I got asked for the first time post my conversion to tell my story and tell my testimony at the school. And I remember the sensation and the feeling that God gave me when I was asked to to do that at this school was unlike anything that I had ever experienced in my life. And you know why it was like that? Here's why. Because it was the first time in my life that I had actually been asked to share that story that I had actually had a story worth sharing. Because I had just been converted. I had just been changed by the grace and mercy of God and the only thing I wanted to do was tell people about it. And so for the next year of my life, even after that mission trip, that it was on that mission trip that I felt like God might be calling me to change the whole direction of my life away from business into ministry. And I just said, you know what, God, whatever you wanna do with my life, I say yes. Whatever you want to do, your gospel and this mission is too urgent for me to do anything other than say yes to being used in whatever way you want me to be used. And so what it did was it led me to go back to school and I'll never forget this. This is actually a very long story uh, and there's some wrinkles to it, but when I was a junior in high school, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna start a Bible study. So I started a Bible study in my lunch class and it was going great. Fun fact, fun little, little nugget. I haven't shared this in any of the other uh, stories, sermons, messages, services. There it is. My, my wife, Griffin, actually jumped in on that Bible study, was a part of it every single week, and I didn't even know she existed. And uh, it wasn't until after we had started dating, she was like, hey, remember that Bible study you started? And I was like, yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Until it got shut down by the principal. And she was like, yeah, it was great. Uh, did you know I was in it every single week? I was the only one who was consistent. And I was like, no, I did not. How crazy was that, right? But here's the point, I started this Bible study, stuff started happening, people got saved, people were encouraged. Here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. When the gospel transforms a life, when it gets into the depths of somebody's soul, mission and multiplication starts taking care of itself. And so we here at Hope, we want to get the gospel down deep into the depths of our hearts because when that happens, multiplication starts happening. Now, you might be saying at this point, Trenton, this is great, but what does this have to do explicitly with planting churches? <laughs> because you haven't said anything from scriptures where, from the scriptures where God commands us to plant churches. And I would say you're exactly right. We haven't talked about that because there is no verse in the Bible where it explicitly commands us to plant churches. However, however, the reason here that we are going to be absolutely adamant and passionate about multiplying churches in our lifetime is because when three key realities come together, we can't afford not to do it. And I wanna share those realities with you very quickly. Number one, the first reason why we can't afford not to plant churches is because the example is just too clear. Here's what I mean by that. In the early church, the disciples took the great commission that we just read, they took that and applied it essentially as a call to plant churches. Listen to Tim Keller as he talks about this. He says virtually all of the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. The great commission is a call not just to make disciples but to baptize, we just read that. In Acts and elsewhere, it's clear that baptism means incorporation into a worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. The only way to be truly sure you're increasing the number of Christians in a city is to increase the number of churches. See, here in America, we, we typically plant churches this way. 
We identify a man and a family. And we say, if you're from where I'm from in the South, we'd say about this man, hey, hey brother, that boy can preach. <laughs> we say, that boy can preach. And so then we're like, you know what you should do, bro? You should plant a church. And so we identify a guy and we say, hey, we're gonna give you some money. We're gonna try to help you build a team. And then you're gonna go parachute somewhere into a city. And then you're just gonna start planning for a service Plan a service, maybe right around Easter. That'll be when more, most people come to church. So plan a service, get a mailer out there, get everybody you can, you can figure out telling people about it. Plan your service. And then once you get this service, then you can start after your Easter service, start doing the process of making disciples and engaging in the city. And listen, it's not necessarily that that's wrong. It's just not the way they did it in the scriptures. <laughs> See, in the scriptures, we actually do it completely backwards. And in the scriptures, what happens is an individual engages in a city. Go study Acts chapter 16 one time. You'll see in Acts chapter 16 the start of the birth of the church of Philippi. And what happens is Paul goes into the city and he starts engaging in the city. He starts living there, eating there, hanging out with there, and he ends up meeting people. And as he meets people, he starts sharing the gospel with these people. As they get saved, he starts discipling them in kingdom living. And as a result of discipling them, what ends up happening is now it's a time to appoint leaders to help continuing that mission. And as a result of their discipleship, churches are then born. So we say it here, this way. We don't plant churches in order to then go make disciples. We make disciples, and as a result, churches are born. This is the model of the early church. And the second reason we can't afford not to do this is not only because the example, but also because the effectiveness of planting churches is just too clear. It's too obvious. Here's what I mean. Research suggests that within the first six months after the resurrection of Jesus, it was said that in the city of Jerusalem, there was over 100,000 believers in Jesus. Just after six months after the resurrection, you go a few more years, it said that over the region, it says that the gospel in the, the region that Jerusalem was set in, just after a few years, that entire region had almost become Christians. Just a few years after the resurrection. You take that timeline a little bit further, just a few years after all of that, it was said that the gospel had reached every part of the known world at that time. Now here's the question. How did the gospel multiply that fast? Here's how. Through churches planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. The only way the gospel would spread that fast is through a multiplying of believers taking serious the call to extend and use their lives for the extension of God's kingdom. So it was true and effective then, but it's also true and effective now. Research suggests that planting new churches is the best way to reach new and unchurched people. Study after study has proven that new churches see around six to eight times more new unchurched people coming into the church than churches of the same size that are older. This is why missiologist C. Peter Wagner, here's what he says. He says, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. The effectiveness is, is obvious. But then finally, the need is too great. The need is too great. When you look at the population of the West Coast, the West Coast's population is roughly 80 million people. 80 million people in the West Coast. And studies say that if you picked out any major city in the West Coast, and studied them, 
roughly between 90 and 95% of its residents in that city do not have a relationship with Jesus and are not connected to the church. So if that's true, here's what that means, that there are 72 million people in the West Coast that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And God in his sovereignty has ordained that the way the gospel will get to those people is through the multiplication of churches and individuals. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How are they gonna call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And then how are they to hear without someone preaching? The need is just too great. We've got to go. We've got to go. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God has given this heart and this passion of multiplying churches to to our church, to our leaders before and to the church that actually planted Hope Church. See, you may not know this or find this interesting, but I actually grew up at the church that planted Hope Church 22 years ago. Isn't that fun? Super fun. So like when I was in seventh grade with my youth ministry, I came on a mission trip to serve Hope Church in its earlier days as a church plan. So I'm so thankful for my church that had a heart to plant churches and then Hope Church has had a heart to plant churches and multiply churches up and down the West Coast and we're getting to see the fruit of that and experience the fruit of that even right now and we will for generations to come. One of the fruits that we're getting to experience is a fruit of a church named Favor City Church planted right here in Las Vegas from Pastor Joseph Gibbons. You've already heard a little bit about him today, but his church, here's what's super cool about his church. His church was planted out of Walk Church, which we planted. So in some sense, Favor City Church is our granddaughter. (laughs) And what's super cool about that is they're already, they're a year in and they've already got a church that they're ready to launch in about a year to plant another church. So we'll have great, great grandchildren as a church. And so I want you to just take a moment and listen to Favor City and Joseph's story just for a second. Yes, it was October of 2019. A church planter by the name of Hayden Ratner invited me and my wife to the city. And we were able to put a youth weekend on for some students here in Las Vegas. And we learned a stat that was very alarming, that Las Vegas is our nation's capital for teenage homelessness. And this is obviously a stat that perked our interest. But when we met a young lady on that trip that actually was a homeless teenager, the stat really became a story. And that's really when the burden got real. And so God just really threw a series of relationships opened our eyes to the reality that church planting is the way to make an impact and make a difference in the world. I remember Kristen and I, we were sitting right here at Hope Church at an M3 church planting conference and we just were praying this prayer. God, if you're not in this, we don't want it. I remember God taking us to this passage in Acts 2 47 where it says the early church was praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And we just prayed, God, if it was true of the early church, why can't it be true of us? And so I remember right here at Hope Church, Kristen scribbling the name for the first time, Favor Church. And we started the journey. We moved to the city in August of 2020 with our two kids. And as a grandchild of Hope Church, I have really and truly felt like, in a lot of ways, the activity that I feel like we're able to step into is a result of so many pioneers that have gone before us, 20 years before us, to say that we are claiming this city for Jesus. And so we're just honored to be a part of the wake of God's activity 
because of what it means for us as a family of churches here in the city. Even as we set up and tear down every single week, we make a cafeteria become a house for a church, and we've been able to see Jesus build his church in phenomenal ways by giving everybody a significant role. We've been able to see atheists come and join our team to come up and put up pipe and drain. We've been able to see people come and pull a trailer that didn't know what they thought about Jesus yet, and watching those men and those women that come and take significant steps in their faith because they felt like they belonged and they were part of a people and they put their faith and trust in Jesus has been an incredible story to see unfold. Their impact has been phenomenal because they resurrect the church every single week and they play a significant part in the kingdom. Together when we link arms and we decide we're going to plant the church in another part of the city, we multiply churches and there's something about when you are able to unload a trailer with a church plant team when you're able to get into the ministry grind with them and see the church come alive and be a part of that happening on the ground that God's gonna stir your heart in a fresh way and I think you're gonna be blessed when you give God your yes and you say you know what I'm gonna pray I'm gonna give and I'm gonna go because we want to plant churches to see the kingdom expand So you might be asking yourself, okay, I'm convinced that we, we can be involved in multiplying the church, but what do I do? What do I do, really? Well, maybe you're in here today and you felt for a long time that God has been stirring in your heart, maybe that you actually need to be a part of actually planting a church, leading a team to plant a church. If that's you, we are so stoked for you. We would love to come alongside you, serve you, support you, help you in any way we can. So if that's you, if you're feeling that wrestle, we would love to talk to you after the service. But for the rest of us, probably most of us, here are five ways that we can get involved right now in multiplying the church. Here's the first way. Number one, by praying. By praying. Time would not allow me to tell you the full story of how one Filipino lady here in Las Vegas was begging God that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock would plant a church in the early 2000s here in Las Vegas and how God actually answered her prayers and how we are experiencing the fruit of that, of her prayers, her calling down on the Lord, asking for God to advance his kingdom in the world. You can say it this way, a missionary named Samuel Zwimmer, he said this, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. So if you're looking for your next step, your next step, first and foremost, is to pray. To pray, God, would your kingdom come in the West as it is in heaven? Number two, you can make disciples. We've talked about this earlier, but all of us have been called by God to engage in the mission of God to make disciples. You have people in your life, in your sphere of influence, that God has, in his sovereignty, said that he wants you to be the people to help them come to know and love Jesus. So who are you making disciples with? Who's in your sphere of influence that you're investing in in hopes of seeing them become all the people that God created them to be? Here's a third way, you can care for our church planners. You saw evidence of this a little bit earlier, but I'm so thankful for our church planning team here at Hope with Stephanie Martino and Pastor Chip leading the way, but we've created a system for small groups in our church to adopt church planters so that they can begin relationships where they can care for, pray, and serve them in whatever way they need. 
So if you're a part of a small group, I wanna encourage you for you guys to pray. Go out to the lobby out there. We have more information, but go out there. Talk with the church planners. Get some cards. Get some more information about how your small group can be involved in caring for our church planters. Number four, you can give to the mission. We say this every single week, but when you give to Hope Church, you're not giving to a church. You're giving through a church for the expansion of God's kingdom locally and globally. Every single week we're praying and asking the Lord, God, how can we steward what you've given us for the sake of the kingdom advancing in our lifetime? So you can invest strategically by giving to the mission. And then finally, you can go. You can go for the sake of the mission. I believe with all my heart that there are people in this room right now who God has been stirring. Maybe you know a church planner or you know of somebody else and God is stirring in your heart potentially to relocate your family, to relocate yourself for the expansion of God's kingdom by partnering with a church plant somewhere in the West. We tell people all the time, all the time as they go through our discovering hope process, we tell them all the time, hey listen, we're so thankful that you wanna be a part of our church, but you just need to know right here up front, we're gonna do everything we can to get you out of here. And people laugh and we go, no, we're serious. We're serious because we have a foundational belief that when God birthed our church, it was always for something bigger than our church. It was always for something bigger. And our greatest measure of success will never be how many seats we have in this building. Our greatest measure of success could be how many people have we sent out to engage in the mission of God. What if next year our church was at, not at the top of the largest church in North America on outreach.com? What if our church, they've got another list, it's called the most reproducing churches in America. What if our church was on that list? That's the list I wanna be a part of. So maybe you need to go. We wanna support you and send you and commission you to the best of our ability. So as we respond today, there are five ways, five ways for you to clearly take your next step in advancing the kingdom of God and multiplying the church in our lifetime. But here's the question, what are you gonna do? How's the Lord leading you? What's the next step that he's calling you to take? Maybe it's to pray, maybe it's to give, maybe it's to go, maybe it's to care, maybe it's to make disciples, whatever it is. Maybe it's something else, I don't know. But I wanna encourage every single one of us to ask the Lord to give us and direct us to our next step in multiplying the church in our lifetime. Maybe you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but as you heard us talking about the gospel and a new identity and how we're changed, the old is past and the new is come, and you're sitting here saying, that hasn't happened for me. Well, here's the good news. It can happen for you today because Jesus has done everything necessary in order to bring you into the family of God. All you've gotta do is receive it. And so we're gonna have pastors down here in just a moment that we would love for you to come down and just say, you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. We would love to sit down with you, open up the scriptures and, and show you what it really means to live and enjoy a relationship with Jesus. And then for the rest of us, I wanna encourage you just to respond in whatever way the Lord is leading you. Maybe you need to rejoice in your salvation and thank God that he has given you and ask God, maybe for some of you, ask God to sink the depth of the gospel and the richness of the gospel deeper into your heart because right now you're not compelled for mission. And so you can ask God to do that. So I don't know what way the Lord is leading you to respond, but I wanna encourage you. We're gonna have pastors here in just a moment as I pray. If you need prayer for something, we'd love and be honored to pray for you. But let's respond in whatever way the Lord leads us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to be with your family, 
our family, sitting under your word, worshiping together, lifting high the name of Jesus, talking about how you're inviting us to extend your kingdom in the West. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. God, would you create movement for your namesake? We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name.